Welcome to Oh No, Ross and Carrie, the show where we don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal, but take part ourselves. Yep, when they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Carrie Poppy. And I'm Ross Blotcher, and we have a very special guest with us today. We sure do. You're all going to be excited. It is none other than Mike Cleland, a.k.a. Owl Guy. Owl Guy. Now, welcome, Mike, first of all. Thank you so much. And yeah, thanks it, for being here. I think you're it's, the I one. I think it's actually, I hate to say this, but it is in the sort of vernacular that it gets used, it is the owl guy. Oh, the okay. owl guy. Oh, oh, fair excellent. enough, fair enough. Uh, just like uh, Smokey Bear is not Smokey the Bear. We want to get that right. Yeah, we got to okay. get, yeah. So I, the, yeah, he gave up his the and gave it to me. Yeah. <laughs> the owl guy, excellent. All right, now I have to ask, how did you get the term the owl guy? I, it just it just emerged on the scene and people just started referring to me to, as the owl guy. And um, I've actually, yeah, so I'm stuck with it now. It's bad. If you're going to get stuck with a little moniker, that's as good as any, I think. So. That's a good one. I feel uh, like we've been calling you just Owl Guy, just naturally. Well, so. from now on, you will but be now, heretofore well, known as well, yeah, so, the Owl Guy. I, every time you say it, it's just like, and it's not McClelland, uh, which you talked about in the other thing. Right. right. I wanted to ask about that. Oh, so. there's a, there's a, that's actually not an uncommon version. There's, it's, there's more McClellans out there, but somewhere yeah, there bet. was a, like, two clans went at it in the, you know, the highlands of Scotland, you know, many centuries ago. And, you know, one clan basically chopped off the first two letters of the other clan's names. So. Ah, there okay. can be only one. Part of We're some related. kind of fight. So it, yeah, so some McClellans and McClellans, and there's about five different variations of the spelling of each. Well, good, now that we got that settled. Well, why don't you start off by telling us about you, what it is you do, how you got involved in looking at owl lore. Uh, you got six hours? <laughs> yes, we do. Okay, so I had been working in the outdoor industry teaching things like mountaineering and backcountry skiing and traveling to Alaska and rock climbing. And I had been doing that for a few decades. And then at the same time, I was working as a professional illustrator. I had lived in New York as a yuppie at a certain chapter of my life. That seems so far <laughs> off in the distance. I can't, it's like, can't even focus that far back in time anymore. But so I was leading this life. And at the same time, I had these experiences as a child and one as a young adult when I was 30 <laughs> and they certainly implied UFO contact. Okay. And I, I was able to talk about them, and I could sit around a coffee table or sit around the campfire and say, hey, you want to hear an interesting story? And I'd tell these, like, well, I saw this UFO, and it was really close, and another time I had a missing time event, and, you know, so I could tell these stories. Yeah. But I was like, I just left it there. I was like, huh, you know, imagine that. You know, what could it mean? Hmm. And I dismissed it. I denied it, dismissed it, wouldn't go there, wasn't going to go there, wasn't going to deal with it. And that all changed in 2006. Now, at that point in 2006, I was sort of at the place in my life where I was like, I'm going to have to look into this someday. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it's not coming up yet, but I know it's out there. And there was kind of this sense of, you know, when the teapot's on the stove, you know, there's kind of this, you kind of sense when the teapot's boiling. It's going to whistle okay. soon. Okay. And that's kind of where I was at. I was like, I'm going to have to look into this. So I went camping with a a friend of mine and this actually sort of a stranger didn't really know her it was kind of a first date ah. uh, mm -hmm. which is kind of what happens in a little western town I was living right near Grand Teton National Park right oh, in the Wyoming nice. border oh it's astounding yeah so and uh, went into the mountains and this to tell the story properly takes about 15 minutes I'll sum it up in, <laughs> as quick as I can okay. we under a, in a very prescient moment during a conversation these, an owl flew over us mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. another owl flew over us and a third owl flew over us 
it was pretty cool. Like seeing these owls, they were close up. They were landing right near us. They were landing on branches near us. They were swooping right above our head. It lasted so you, for a you, few hours. You could see all three of them at the same time. Oh, yeah, so you yeah. knew it wasn't oh, the yeah. same it owl. It was a big, wide open environment. Oh, yeah. yeah. Gotcha. This drew your we, attention. It drew my attention. So a few days later, we went camping again, just one night. The first night was without any tent at all. So we just beautiful night, slept out under the stars. And you lay on your back, look up at the big Rocky Mountain stars. Amazing. And then these owls would swoop over our faces. And just Mm -hmm. for just a half a second, the sky would be blotted out. And this owls flying near complete silence. And it was remarkable. It was the coolest experience. Sounds amazing. So a few days later, we go camping again. And and, uh, let's walk up to the top of that hill and watch the sunset. So we walk up to the top of this hill. We get up there, sun setting, and an owl lands on a branch right near near us. And then a second owl lands at our feet. And a third owl is swooping above us. And I'm convinced it's the same three owls. We were many miles apart from where we were the first time. And this is all at Grand Teton? This was not technically in Grand Teton National Park. This was in the range, the Tetons. I was on the oh, okay. um, National Park side. Okay. So I wasn't, yeah, so I just, essentially, yes, I was in Grand Tetons National Park, but I was on the opposite side of the line there. So, mm-hmm. so to have it happen once was pretty cool. And to have it happen twice kind of freaked me out. And I hmm. kind of wigged out a little bit for the next few years on owls. And so what I... What I talk about now, and I didn't talk about then, is that when I saw those owls both nights, both times, and these were real owls. They were, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, 12 inches tall. They were cute. They were short-eared owls. They would land right next to us. It was so mystical to have it happen the second time. Yeah. And then, and, and the, why do you uh, think they were the same owls? Just a sense. I don't know. Okay. I mean, I just my sense is that they were the same. Three owls. They, yeah. I mean, that they looked the same. <laughs> Those were yards. So they, but I mean, I, so yeah. So it, that was there my wasn't sense. a, oh, I recognize that pattern of feathers. No, I didn't. I didn't recognize that. But they were just about the same size and they were definitely the same uh, species of owls, family mm-hmm. of owls. So what I didn't talk about then, but am talking about now, both times seeing those owls, I had a distinct, a voice in my head is one way to say it, but it was almost like a powerful knowing. And I was looking at these owls, and there was a voice in my head that said, this has something to do with the UFOs. Okay. Oh, okay. And that was palpable, clear, unmistakable. Those blended together. And so when I started researching the owls, I was also researching the UFOs. So I was talking to UFO researchers and asking them, have you ever seen owls? Ah, and I was talking to shamans okay. and asking, have you ever seen UFOs? Okay. What was happening is I was get these answers like, well, that's a good question. No one's ever asked me that before. And I, I do have an interesting owl story. So I started at that point in 2006, archiving, collecting, documenting these owl stories. And then that turned into a blog and that blog turned into a kind of a magazine length article and that turned into one big fat book. And then that there's a second book that just came out. So this is now 12 years of kind of obsessive research how many reports would you say you have now? Well, that's hard to say because I get a lot that I, you know, where people say like, oh, golly. And, you know, like I drove down the road and I saw an owl and I'm like, uh, that doesn't count, you know. And, <laughs> um, for you. And, uh, and then I get other ones where it's like those are home runs. Uh-huh. And uh, what's 12 times 300, you know? So I'm guessing I'm getting 300 a year for, well, probably more 10 times. 3,000. 3,600. Okay, 3, yeah. 3,000. Right. I'm getting, yes. Yeah, so I'm just guessing. It's a little less than one a day I'm getting. Okay. So I'm, say, I'm, uh. I'm saying... It's a fair way to say it that I'm getting 300 really good owl stories a year. Wow, okay. And how much has this taken over your life? Uh, it, 100%, 100%. Oh, you do this kind of full-time now? You, you are the owl Yeah, uh, if you want to, so here's my, if you want to figure out an incredibly quick way to go broke, is to, <laughs> is to 
you dedicate yourself to UFO research. Yes. Yeah, so, well, that's not exactly true because I do do other things, you know. So, clean yeah. the bathroom and stuff. Oh, what what else do you do? Oh, oh okay. So, <laughs> are you doing, doing a little anything bit of outdoor else? work? I'm still occasionally doing a little outdoor work. So, okay. Because gotcha. you'd previously written books on backpacking and Camping outdoorsmanship, and backcountry skiing. Yeah. So, ultralight backpacking and such. Very you know. cool. And it sounds like, from what you're saying, that that's often a good way to test out a first date, see if she's interested in joining you for a backpacking trip. Well, it was a culture, you know. That's like being in Venice and saying, you know, you want to hop on the gondola, you know, sure. gondola, you know, so, you know, so yes, it was just, it's just simply part of the culture. It's, you're, it's, you're a mountain man. You live by the Rockies and now you live in the Adirondacks? Live in the Adirondacks, yes. Not quite as big as the, uh, but, um, you know, for the East Coast, for something east of the Mississippi, it's pretty remarkable here. Because so. if you moved to Los Angeles, you'd have a harder time seeing owls. I mean, we have. And that's not necessarily true because there's definitely owls all over the place. Um, obviously, yes. It's I'm living in a rural place with a lot of trees. There's a lot of owls here. But there's no problem seeing owls all over the place. They're, they show up in New York City. There's they're, they're there. But you must get more reports from places that there are forests and things. Not necessarily, no. I have actually, mm. I quite honestly, I, I have never sort of broken it down that way. Mm. But. No, oh, I've gotten plenty from urban environments. And people will, you know, like I got a beautiful one, which is in the first book, where people were coming back from a UFO support group, returning, driving home at night after meeting with Barbara Lamb, who's a researcher and hypnotherapist on mm-hmm. abduction experiences. Two people in the car, both experiencers. They're talking about God while driving in the car. And at that moment, the subject changes to God. Boom, an owl flies right in front of their windshield, right scares them. And they look at the clock and it's 1111. Yeah. Now, this is, you know, so I'm going to, I have to feel like I have to, like, I'm a little against the ropes right now because, because you did the, uh, you, you, uh, <laughs> you've heard our my presentation. Yeah. You reviewed my presentation at the Ozark Mountain uh, UFO Festival, which mm-hmm. was right about a year ago exactly right now. Yeah, yeah almost. It is. So, and I was kind of like, what happened was you sent me a little thing said, Hey, you want to be on our podcast? And I was like, Sure. And then I, you said, Oh, we reviewed your thing. And I like, Said I said yes, and then I yes. listened to to the review, and I was like, "Hey, <laughs> right. I, you were it was a, I felt like it was a, like I had to you know." So part of the reason I'm here is a way to is is to you know defend myself a little bit because I felt you were a little judgmental about my methodology. Yeah, I don't that's, pretend sure. to. That's sure. fair, and I mean that's part of why we wanted to have you on so that you could make your case yourself instead of just okay. coming. By our all mouths. means, yeah. I had originally sent the message to you, and you you took note of this. I made sure it was going to get to your inbox at exactly three thirty three. You didn't do that, did you? I did. <laughs> oh, you <laughs> did because that's the first thing I said is, "Hey, look at the thing." So I had my email ready, and then I pasted it in and sent it at twelve thirty three my time. And I was already you had sent the response, and I was all ready to follow up again at I think it was going to be one two three four. Something, yeah. yeah. And uh, then I saw, oh, he responded and he's now listened to our coverage. So no one had sent it to you before then. No, the first time I heard it. Yeah. Okay. okay. And then I wrote back to you and I did not plan this, but apparently I wrote back to you at 444. And, and you said, that is not significant, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get to. I mean, it's, I mean, I, you know, you sort of, listen, I'm in like this, I'm swimming in the waters with like UFO experiencers and, and people on, you know, with the, that edge of the continuum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. So, 
But it is a a little telling, right, that Ross could just manipulate the situation, hold his email and wait to send it. And then it comes in at 333. Could some of the people who are sending you these experiences be doing kind of the same thing where they're maybe they're seeing an owl and they're adding detail to it because they're like, oh, Oh, Michael, really like this. And they're kind of playing along. Oh, yeah. And I and I and I'm absolutely yes. I mean, a fisherman goes out and comes back and talks about their fishing day. You know, they're going to talk about a great big fish that might not have been as big. Uh So so totally. Yes, this is the waters are full of frauds and and I will say you know this within this research and you'll meet them at UFO conferences. There's mentally ill people and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's a snake pit. Mm-hmm. What I do in the research is like I can't. I'm not giving people lie detector tests. I'm not. All I can do is you know see what patterns emerge. Sure. So if I hear a handful of stories that have the same flavor, I pay very close attention. If there's a one-off. I'll say this is a one-off. I have no other story that matches this one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'll make sure to say that. And if anything else, you can be assured that there's... I'm picking one story that represents, um, you know, a file folder full of similar stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, and I read your book, The Messengers, and you would mention oftentimes, because you'd talk to people who were, say, animal psychics and people who are shamans and people who do voice analysis and take audio and mix it back and forth. And you would contextualize that. And some you seem to take with more of a grain of salt than others. But yeah, I I was interested in hearing more about how you kind of draw that line, the threshold of, of what is significant. All I can do, I mean, so I said it before and I'll say it again. Like I, so I had a guy who contacted me and he does his own researches, and I, I'm not going to choose not to give his name here. And he kind of gave me a hard time. He said, I'm, your research is driving me crazy. You are not scientific in your research. <laughs> and I got right back to him, like, what do I care? I'm not a scientist. Sure. Like, mm-hmm. who says I have to be scientific? Where's the rule book that says I have to be scientific and how I, these are my experience. This is my journey. I'm not documenting scientific data. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be peer reviewed. I don't care about that. I am documenting my own experience, which has been. I mean, I've lived a normal life, and then something happened, it all flipped upside down, and I have been invaded by this synchronistic magic. I recognize the difference between my previous life and this new life. This new life is hard, it's challenging, I'm broke, but I have been, I am rubbing elbows with amazing people, and there is a sort of magic in the air to all this mm-hmm. in the in the quality of the synchronicities. So that is what I am sharing. That is my presentation. I try to do it as honest as I can do it and I try to back it all up with so the way I here so you, your question was how do I differentiate you know mm-hmm. the, the answer is I don't like I'm all like like if you went in a time machine and said let's go back to Athens and study you know the source of mythology right so you're going to go in your time machine are you going to like walk into like some marble building with big columns and talk to like learned scholars with their scrolls and stuff like that you know what's the fun in that you know no you want to like meet the guy with his like hair blown back in a wild expression who's just like staggered off of Mount Olympus and is, you know, is has got the firsthand experience to tell of what, what's going on. Sure. That's where I'm at. You Guess know, I'd that's... go to the Oracle at Delphi. Um, well, it's interesting because you're not archiving every story you get. Like you said, oh my there's, God, no. there are some that you're like, um, I don't think know. there's enough bandwidth on the, on the World Wide Web for that. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. But also, you know, you said like someone just sees an owl stuffed animal or something doesn't mean anything to you. Fair enough. An owl purse. Yeah. Owl purses don't. Owl purses. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, but then in a way, aren't you kind of using a little bit of science and then kind of cutting it off at a point? Because you are using these objective standards and saying, uh, you know, if an owl just shows up in the culture that doesn't mean much no, um, I'm, yeah i'm using subjective standards 
I'm I'm being subjective. I'm not being I'm not being objective. I'm like I'm making you know gut decisions in the moment that aren't based on on right. those are based on my own you know intuitive you know like you know where the where the I'm being pulled you know like I'm uh-huh. yeah so but, I'm following but, my instinct not my logic. Okay, all right, fair enough. But you are like using a standard of does this really seem relevant and I guess I'm wondering like so where does that begin and end I mean do we all just trust our guts about that or is there any role for science and observation to play in this sure you know I like to be kind of buttoned up in the way I present it and and Mm -hmm. be clear about my methodology which is just me wrestling with the data you know Mm -hmm. like basically I get a really good story I'm like ooh, I gotta write this up I think you are I don't think anyone would come away confused after seeing you either present or after Mm -hmm. reading your book and not knowing that these are subjective reflections and a collecting process of archetypes of stories yeah, yeah. So, so here's here's an example, and this is this is sort of a rebuttal to the uh, yeah. podcast you did a, close to a year ago now. So there was a point in the podcast, and I'm like, I've given this talk a few times, and I feel like I, I'm a, I'm an actor on the stage, right? So I'm performing mm-hmm. a little bit, and I'm go I'm doing it for impact. And this is true. This is straight up true. This is so I. The uh, it's 2000. It's the you know it's this part of this new world history and I have an iPad and I can get on and get a Kindle version of one of these books, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I don't have to wait. I don't have to go to a library. I don't have to wait a week for it to come in the mail. I can just push a button. Minutes later, I can have the book in my hand and I can I can search it. And the word I want to search is owls. So I get a, I get mm-hmm. a UFO book. You know, it's nine bucks or something. And I search it for the word owl. And what I found is that, yes, a whole bunch of other words come up. Mm-hmm. One of them is knowledge. Now, mm-hmm. I'll just go through and you were, I'll say, I was like, when I was listening to your podcast, I'm like, these guys are being snarky. They were like, they didn't get <laughs> what I was saying. They're like, well, other words come up. And like, of course I know other words come up. But what I was saying is the word that comes up a lot is knowledge. So uh-huh. this is not empirical, like how many words in the dictionary have O-W-L in them. This mm-hmm. is my gut the word knowledge comes up and you do a little swipe thing on your iPad. Well, I got to just move past that. Oh, there's knowledge. I got to move past knowledge. I got to, I'm trying to find owl. Got to move past knowledge. Sure. And that, that became a metaphor. Like I recognized it. I'm like, holy crap, this is, if this was written into a script, right? And I was at the script writing table, you know, for some, you know, Hollywood, you know, TV production crew. And I was writing the script of some paranormal show. And I included this. The producer would have every right to come into the script room and give me a talking to like, uh, Mike, that's a little corny, right? You're going over <laughs> the top. You're being too obvious. So I'm moving past knowledge. And I've given this talk before and I'll just give it, this is this is how I say it. So I move past knowledge. I move past knowledge. I'm going to do my drama voice now. I move past <laughs> knowledge. And I realize this is a metaphor for my journey. I am trying to move past knowledge and trust my heart. Because if I trusted my knowledge, if I trusted my intellect, I would figure out a way to deny all this. I would turn my back on it and say, owls and UFOs are not connected. I think that's right, Mike. But I I trusted my heart and I proceeded forward on this journey. Okay, well, you've just kind of demonstrated for us sort of the path that you took there of the associations. But one could also point out that knowledge, you know, in a book about aliens or or wisdom or whatever it may be is going to be used more than bowl. say the word bowl or cowl or something like that it's it's a common term if the if the word power 
had if it was Powler, that would have come up a lot too. Mm-hmm. And then and then we could make a deep connection about the relationship between power and and owls. But I'm saying what I had, the experience, the direct experience I had is like, hey, I got this cool thing. I mm-hmm. can look up the word owl. And what I ended up doing was moving past knowledge, moving past knowledge, moving past knowledge, moving past knowledge to find the owl. And that was just a playful little sure. a, a little thing that oh, I yeah. recognized in the moment. That's fun. Yeah, we agree. <laughs> but yeah, maybe our, our determining of significance of that would be... Our threshold would be at a different yeah. level. I, I guess, guess I'm yeah, thinking I'm, like if but my... But this, is, this isn't your journey. This is me. <laughs> sure. This is my journey. Oh, that's fair. It was significant to me, and that's all I can say. So sure. there's... Yeah. Totally fair. Well, what other critiques or responses do you have to our coverage? We definitely want to hear that, and I know our audience does. Oh, what was... There was one other thing. I, I mean, there was... A, I mean, I could kind of go point by point, but I think that was metaphorically... Oh, you know what you did? So you said I told a long story about my, my partner, Andrea, and and uh, this... Uh, the owl oh, with the glow. Download, sort of download, right? and she saw the owl in the yard and everything like that. Right. And yeah, that was all, you know, what's... It's, you could dismiss all of that. I'm saying that in real life, this is what happened. This is, you know, that to me... It was significant. There was mm-hmm. the same night she reads the thing in Lisette Larkin's book, which is a similar story about a hawk. It's not an owl, but it's a hawk, but it's a similar account. And then anyway, where was I going with this? Oh, so I finished that whole thing. Boom. That whole section is over. Mm-hmm. And then as a little punctuation thing, right? So I did it a few times. A funny little joke, sort of a little ma- meant to be funny mm-hmm. and short. Like I didn't spend a lot of time on it. I'm spending more time on it now here is I put a little slide up on the PowerPoint and it showed a little baby owl and it said, owlet. Mm-hmm. And I said, in the dictionary, a baby owl is an owlet. Oh, and the next right. slide is, that spells owl, E-T. And then I moved right on to, to the next thing. And that was just meant to be funny. Okay. So okay. you were treating it like it was like, wait a minute, like it rhymes a with A serious Lisette. point. To, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. And um, then I also- Well, I got I to say oh, go that does seem on the same level as looking for owl in the word knowledge. Like it does seem about the same level of relevance there. And I think in, in the talk, I, I, I'm certain, I've given this talk many times. I don't have a recording of this talk. And so I usually say something to the effect of, you know, this is more of an insight into how my mind works rather than the deeper <laughs> mysteries yeah. of- You of, definitely yeah. said- Said that for J.K. Rowling. Rowling. Yeah. So you... I do. Yeah. And, I, and once you say it once, you don't need to say it again. Well, like when I said that, which is actually interesting because I, I kind of amended that now because I wrote a whole chapter about Kenneth Arnold in my second book. Oh, there's a whole chapter on on Kenneth Arnold, the fellow who inadvertently coined the term flying, flying saucer in 1947, right. and he had a pet owl, mm-hmm. and that was the start. That was the only owl reference in his. But I just thought that was amazing for me. That was when I heard that that Kenneth Arnold had a pet owl. I called his daughter. I did a formal interview. I've since talked to his granddaughter and done a, you know, and so there's a wealth of material out there and there is so much weirdness associated with Kenneth Arnold and his story. Enough that it worked just beautifully to be a chapter in this book. Hmm. Okay. Hang on there, Mike. We have something very important to announce. Very important. Almost as important as seeing an owl. It is a Jumbotron. A Jumbotron? Yes. And this one is for Justin from Sam. And Sam says, happy birthday to Justin, my wonderful, funny, amazing husband and partner of 20 years. 20 years, Ross. 20 years. That is a long time. He says... You introduced me to Ross and Carrie years ago, and I've loved them since, but I still love you more. Rude. Rude. He does say sorry, Yeah, Ross then he and says Carrie. sorry, Ross and Carrie, but I don't accept. Yeah. 
Enjoy your year of being the ultimate answer to life, the universe, and everything. Love your spouse, Sam. That's really sweet. Oh. I forgive Sam for what he has done. That's very magnanimous of you. (laughs) Thank you. Anyway, you were saying, Mike. I think one of the points you're making is that oftentimes we were treating something that you had said as as sort of a, a quick aside and something intended for humor. And we were taking that more seriously and literally. That kind of leads to another question I had, which is how do you avoid putting more owl puns into your talk? Because I think we <laughs> yeah, were, we're both puns. waiting for puns, puns, I mean, puns. puns. I'm very cautious about puns. <laughs> yeah. So I try not to use puns ever. Really? Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, just as, yeah. All Unless right. it's a really good one. But um, you're classier you know, than we are. We already. agreed know, the part with of the you reason... on everything until you said that, <laughs> until you went against puns. We're very pro pun. Okay, well, what's the prop? So if you, here, you, you write a book about owls. You write two books about owls. And then what happens is you start getting, Al, your Christmas cards have owls on them. These oh, people right. give you coffee cups with oh, owls. You should yeah. see our magnets on the refrigerator are all owls. We got owls on the mantelpiece. <laughs> I've got probably two or three little toy owls in the room here with me. And those, I didn't buy any of those. They just kind of arrived. Like, oh, here we go. Oh, like an owl. We're going to get you this owl. Owl uh-huh. cupcakes. And, oh, yeah. So, um, that, so that happens I gotta to anybody. Be like, as soon as you get associated as the person uh-huh. who likes X, everyone gets that for you. My uh, stepmother had to put a moratorium on hippos because she mentioned once like, oh, I like that hippo. And everyone just bought her hippos for holidays and birthdays for the next 20 years. Understood. So you are now the recipient of many owls. Yes, and I'm and in the number of times people say like yes, who you know, like making hooting jokes and stuff like that. Oh, sure. of course. But that's a testament also. Who would to, do that? <laughs> I, oh, yes, I, that's that's a testament also to just how replete our culture is with owl imagery and how often owls play into so many different parts of our culture, from Harry Potter to Sword in the Stone, and because they're in the book, they're in the book, they were in the slideshow, they were side by side, yeah, all over the place, right? But what are the most annoying emails you get from people pointing out? I assume. You you probably get emails all the time about Whitley Strieber's book and Twin Peaks and the fourth oh, kind. The twin, you know, there's not really annoying. It's not so much annoying, but it's more that I have to go through. So yeah, so I try to address those in, I address those in the first book. I just got done earlier today. I did a podcast with Whitley Strieber. Very oh, different wow. tone than this one. Yeah, it was wonderful. He wrote the foreword to the second book and he's been incredibly supportive of I my work. I love Whitley. Yeah, he's a he's a remarkable gentleman. So it's not so much that I'm annoyed, but it's you know what I get more of is owl pictures on Facebook. Okay. And um, well, so, so do, do we, we now. now. <laughs> yeah, well, I multiply that by a million, and that's what I'm, I'm sure going that's through. true. I bet. Yeah, so um, yeah, and and my partner Andrea will be saying, "Oh, did you see that owl video?" And I'm like, "Uh, yeah, I got it like 20 times on Facebook." <laughs> yeah, it feels like we recognize this because we get sent these things all the time about a variety of subjects mm-hmm. that we've covered. I. I assume in your mind there must be this like need to kind of stay on top of all this so you can say yes i already saw that national geographic video of the owl swimming down the river yes i'm on it (laughs) yes i've seen that a few times yeah that that, which i like that video and once was enough to watch it but i like (laughs) it yeah and then um and then walking down a main street you know Oh, yeah. Down the main street of our town here. And it's just like you peek in the window and there's like, you know, owl lunch boxes and there's a picture of an owl on a calendar. And then there's like a little owl on a sticker. And and so I walked down the street with people and I'm like, oh, Mike, look, an owl. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. Just like, yeah and so and that's you noted like things. Yeah, you've, you've acted all sad when I kind of, you know, had to give you the stern talking to when you like, <laughs> I signed the book and you said, there's an owl purse uh-huh. in the in the gift shop. And I'm like, uh, yeah, well, you know, so I get that a lot where, right. you know, what what can it mean? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I mean, I've got some stories that, that 
are long and complicated where things like owl purses do play a role in it. But hmm. but yeah, you have to be, I mean, that's it's right up there with dog, cats, and horses as far as like the yeah, number of things. Yeah, exactly. Big, I mean, I'm a big, on. big, big pigeon fan and I'm always looking for pigeon stuff. I'm wearing a pigeon shirt right now. She is. <laughs> but it's really hard to find pigeon stuff because they're not beloved. Whereas the, the owl, dove is the white dove is, which is technically a form. You're of right. Yeah. You're right. But whereas the owl is just everywhere. Sure. That's like uh, I'll go with my wife to Disneyland and she's a big Donald fan. And there's just not as much Donald merchandise mm-hmm. oh, or Daisy as Poor there's Daisy. for other characters. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of one of those things. It's an availability thing. Uh, but you mentioned owl pictures and that brought to mind one thing I wanted to ask you, which is all these people are sending you tales saying oh just as I read your book an owl passed by the window or whatever and I, I kept thinking like oh come on we all have phones now um <laughs> I got a lot of, I've got a lot of owl pictures well, we you just, know, they're not really that interesting you know? okay. sorry they're, I was laughing because we just we just burst out laughing because I got a notification on my phone I was looking at my notes for this talk and it came down with the Los Angeles Times it says bad news for night owls it's just it's hilarious we're talking to you and up comes night owls on my screen there's a yes this is i mean oh god that happens to me so much i and you know it's funny when i uh, the synchronicity there's an interview in the book with a a fellow which is a great interview and i'm and it's a really powerful important moment in my life in a way to talk with this guy because he kind of validated a lot of the things i was dealing with this wonderful guy named dr kirby surprise who's in san francisco he wrote a book called synchronicity and it was him in a way that that i said like listen i'm i'm doing this owl research i'm doing this owl and ufo research and i am getting so much like owl s- shit like reverberating feedback coming through through synchronicities he said i am not surprised you are putting the energy out there into the universe of mm-hmm. owls and ufos the universe this is i'm paraphrasing this other person he told me the universe is a is just a giant mirror it will reflect back at whatever you project into it you are projecting owls and ufos both of those are highly charged one is a highly charged phenomena the, the ufo the other is a highly charged mythic animal the mm-hmm. owl not like a bunny or something and so you are putting that energy out there you should expect that it reflects back to you and it was a really great sort of calm me down a little bit because mm. i was kind of freaking out at that point in my life. I, I think we would agree on the end result, but but I might suggest the effect of just heightened awareness. So if I buy a gray Prius C, which I happen to drive, I now see them everywhere. They're everywhere. And it's a very common car, but I'm especially attuned to it because that's the one I drive. Absolutely, yes. And that's another thing. Yeah, I, that would be the perfect example. I mean, the, I've talked to, you know, husbands and their wives are pregnant and they walk around you know, and they're like, oh, my God, every woman I see is pregnant now. Was well, this mm-hmm. always like this? No, there's just a heightened awareness. But that heightened awareness has a power, you know. So there, mm. during this level of heightened awareness, I was receiving amazing stories. And I, but so you I also talked to kind a, of put out a casting call for those absolutely. stories, Absolutely. Right? I'm not objective. Yeah, yeah. I am subjective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what didn't, yeah. So I'm, I'm asking for it and I'm receiving it. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You could almost do a little experiment where you now just say, oh, you know what? I think squirrels have to do with UFOs, too, and just see I do. There are some get... squirrel reports. I got a lot oh, of squirrel okay. reports. <laughs> okay, there you go. And see if you get a bunch of replies with that. It seems like you might be able to manipulate the process. Yes, but I'm. but the reason I started on this journey was because I was hit with so many owl sightings. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. You've mentioned a connection already between God and owls, that when important conversations were being had about God, that owls showed up. We've also heard about the owl 
UFO or alien connection. Is there kind of a theological underpinning that comes with this that connects functionally? What is that connection? You know, this is this shows up really thick in the second book. I did not plan it. Okay, mm. my sense is, and I and I say it, you know, just a few sentences in the in the conclusion of the second book. There was so much in the way I refer to it as Christian imagery showed up in this first book, and I. You know, like I'm I'm looking for this stuff. Like I'm the guy who like watches 2001 A Space Odyssey and is looking for all the quirky connections to like, you know, what this really might mean. What's the symbolism? What's hidden here? What's hidden there? So my, I'm, my radar's up for that kind of thing. And I, this came out of the blue. I did not expect it. All this Christian imagery. And I'm calling it mm. imagery in the sense, and I say in the conclusion that like in the West, that's the core of our Western mythology. It's not, you know, ancient Rome. It's not ancient Greece. It's not ancient Egypt. Mm-hmm. Our mm-hmm. present mythology is the Bible, right? There's all this stuff that shows up in our, you know, there's little phrases we use and, and there's a church on every corner and there's people sort of, right. Yeah, there's a lot of energy put into that. So it's, that's the, that would be our modern equivalent to our mythology in some ways is the Christian imagery, mm-hmm. is, you know, here and, and it showed up all over the place in the book and shocked me. Now, and just I, and on some of it was just some of the people I was working with were devout Christians and sure. they, we were working with to tell their stories. But what is that connection though? Like I happen to have been raised say, on the Bible and I, I remember owls being described as unclean animals. Uh, yep, but it's in there as unclean, yeah. As I don't remember them figuring too much into any narrative though. They don't. They don't figure it all mm-hmm. into any narrative. So there's no connection between owls and the Bible in any meaningful sense. They get mm-hmm. mentioned a few times. Mm-hmm. The connection, I think, is the highly charged moment. That's for me is the connection. Mm-hmm. So the people are talking about God. They're not talking about you know baseball. They're talking about God. They're talking about something highly charged, and an owl shows up. That's what I pay attention to, and that's I refer to those as highly charged moments. People at funerals. That's a highly charged moment. Mm-hmm. You know, that's people see owls in these environments. So if I'm out, let's say I'm out in the woods having a deep conversation, it's a highly charged conversation. What functionally is happening? Am I putting energy out? And who's aware of that? Is God aware of that? Is the universe aware of that? Aliens t- uh, tuning in? Do you have any kind of grasp on functionally what's happening? Functionally, I have no grasp on it. Okay. Like, who knows? Like, I'm, this is like, I'm not, I, how am I supposed to answer that? What I can say is that it happens. Right. Mm-hmm. This is this is what I can say is that. So, I mean, I get all these stories. People like, oh, I was walking through the woods and I was with my buddy and it was night. And we were walking this path that just connects the two neighborhoods. And it was and we were talking about UFOs. Yeah, we were talking about UFOs. And I remembered Mike Clellan and his book. And, and I said, you know, what would be really weird. We're talking like, oh, God, all of a sudden we're talking about UFOs. What if an owl hooted right now? Boom, right in that sentence. As soon as he finished saying it, an owl hooted right from the bush next <laughs> to him. Cool. Like felt like it was close enough to touch. So. That I take seriously, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That's a highly charged moment in the sense that they're talking about a powerful mythic thing like a UFO. Now, have you ever noted an important moment where you are having a conversation? You think, oh, I bet an owl would come right about now. Oh, I now. think of it all the time. But then I it doesn't? Do you- oh, God, it never, it never happens when I want it to. Yeah. So, I mean, oh. I think about when I, you know, so I know it, I, I think about that. It's actually funny you ask that because I do think about that. It's like, now is cue the owl. Where's it? Where's it coming? And then and it I, doesn't. You know, I'm sadly left lacking. So, yeah. do you archive those moments? No, I don't. Hmm. Okay. okay. It's not like baseball where you like you know where you keep statistics and everything. I'm curious because you are an experiencer. You've had experiences with aliens. The way I phrase this, mm-hmm. I call myself an experiencer. I even use the term abductee very grudgingly. Okay. Because I've had the experiences. Like if you put a 
puzzle on the table and you put all the pieces together and there's some pieces missing, you don't have to step back very far to go, oh, that's a sailboat on a lake. I can just see it. It's sure. a sailboat on a lake. I'm at the same point right now. Like, I don't have all the pieces, but mm-hmm. I feel like I can step back and go, oh, it's yeah. not a good feeling to say okay. this, but I mean, it's like, I feel like I have had UFO contact experiences. Okay, so mm-hmm. unpack that metaphor for me. Do you have a piece of a memory of being abducted or it just, does it just feel like, oh, because of how my life's gone, I must have been? No, I have missing time in association with a bright flash in the sky. Right, the orange thing. When the orange we were... thing, the orange, sky lit up orange mm-hmm. in 1974 when I was 12 years old, the missing time, arrived home. My parents were angry at me. I was two hours late. I've told this story so many times. I could mm-hmm. just, I kind of I... go on autopilot. So I no, think it's, it's okay. Unfair, I read it in your book. Yeah, and then I sat up in bed in the middle of the night and looked out the window, and there were five gray aliens walking towards the house, backlit by a brightly lit light. Mm-hmm. I had, at the time, I had the voice in my head that said, oh, yes, they're here. Now is the time to put your head on the pillow and shut down. Mm-hmm. Once again, I've told this story a lot. but mm-hmm. And this, now I dismissed that, but what came with that, which I, which you can't talk about in a presentation because what came with that was this hyper clarity that was dreamlike but it wasn't a dream this hyper clarity mm-hmm. there's this palpable sense that something is is not normal like i yeah i've stepped out of the boundaries of normal reality i felt that in the in the follow up this is getting 25 30 years ago now that in the in those decades i have talked to a lot of People have had the experience, and this is part of it that doesn't get talked about. Sometimes it's referred to as the Oz factor, but that otherworldly, eerily quiet moment. And I have since had that several other times. There's an event where I talk about it in the show where I where I drew an illustration of it where I'm floating up. I, so I have the sensation of rising up, floating, mm-hmm. this elevator up feeling, and I pass through the roof of the tent. I remember this mm-hmm. from your talk, yeah. And in that moment, I couldn't include this in the talk. I, in that moment, I had the elevator up feeling. Mm-hmm. And it's also had this the exact same sensation mm-hmm. of being in, uh, of, of that uh, event, looking out the window in Maine in 1993. Hmm. Now, it's happened a few more times. Once in a dream, which was very telling, because it was a UFO dream, so here I'll tell this dream. This is this is it's included in my website and it's not included in the book anywhere. Hmm. Um, I'm camping in the mountains and I have this dream, and I'm at my brother's house. My brother doesn't have anything to do with the UFOs, so this is him. He's like, but my brother kind of said, you know, Mike, I got this thing in the garage. You might want to see it. I've been doing this government work here. Come here, let me just I'll show you what I got. Hmm. So I walk into the garage and there's a flying saucer, like partially dismantled, like up on blocks, you know, like an old Volkswagen or something. And huh. and it, like, oh, my God, where did you get this? And he's like, ah, some guy had it, and he didn't want to keep it anymore. And he says, oh, but if you get too close, it distorts reality. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? So I walk up to it. It's like I walk Sphere up to in it. Michael Crichton's book. Ex- I, wa- I, I walk up to it, and it, 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 I experience the exact sensation, palpable sensation. It's unmistakable. I back away. And it goes away. I walk closer to it than I can experience this. So I was in this mode where I could control it. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Oh, weird. How how big was this thing? Not very big. About the size of a van. Okay. okay. That's well, pretty big. That's a good size. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I've I mean, actually not a, it wasn't a you know it wasn't the mothership basically. Well, I've actually had that feeling too, the elevator up feeling. Um, oh no, that's not what I'm talking about. The elevator up feeling was was in conjunction with that floating feeling. Right. No, I know. Yeah, sorry. Going back two minutes, I've had that feeling too. And for me, it was because I did uh, holotropic breathing. Oh right. Where you you kind of deplete the carbon dioxide in your system, and it will uh, give you this feeling of going outside your body and floating up, and it's super surreal. And I felt out of my body. I felt like I was going to the heavens and like something otherworldly and other timely is happening. And I did lose time. I wasn't aware of how long it took. Yeah. Do you think there could be like a physiological explanation for these experiences? Perhaps the physical, you know, like perhaps. But what I'm saying is that these events, these kind of trippy events took place, all of them in conjunction with a UFO type experience. Mm -hmm. One was Mm -hmm. a dream. And I'm at the point now where I think I said it in the talk where I'm at the point now where I treat reality like a dream, right? So if someone says, uh, in the, uh, the example I used in the in the talk was that um, uh, a guy saw a owl after crossing a bridge. Shortly thereafter, he saw a UFO. He was on an island. A year later, he sees another another owl. It's a toy owl. <laughs> just right. after crossing the other right. bridge, leaving that yep. island. I remember this one. My yeah, my homing device, my laser-guided missile was on the bridge. I'm like, holy crap. Like, what more metaphoric, like, dream imagery can there be than the bridge? So you know, that was the thing that I was all focused on was the bridge. Oh, anyway, so where was I? You, well, you were telling the story of uh, being with the UFO up on the blocks in your brother's yep, garage. Yeah, and- you could get closer to it and farther away and sort of control that. Oh, so could this feeling. be a, could this be some sort of physiological thing similar to holotrophic breathing or maybe just a, you know, a... confirmation bias where you're expecting it and it your body produces that feeling again. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's part of it and I and I I struggle with this, right? So mm-hmm. so I I've said this before. I don't think I said it in the talk so clearly, but I, between the years of 2006 when I saw the owls, probably 2011-2012, I can honestly say I spent 95% of my waking moments wondering if I had gone insane. And I used that other 5% to wash the dishes. <laughs> oh, gosh. You know, and do just normal stuff. It was torture. Yeah, it sounds rough. And I, because I was being hit by so many synchronicities, like UFO synchronicities, and and I will also include owl sightings. Those were the years where the owl sightings were off the map. And, and one way to to think about it, and this is advice I've given to people who've talked with me, and like people are people are saying, "Listen, I'm going through the same thing you're describing. What do I do? I'm freaking out." And I said, "You're if the energy you put into it, if you put frenetic energy into your own experience, it's going to reflect back frenetic energy." At a certain point, I think I just got bored with being so frantic about the, about the whole thing, hmm. and sure. just eased back a little bit. And then the I still have synchronicities all the time, often doing having to do with owls and UFOs, but I'm not as... You're more passive about just letting them wash over you rather than seeking them? Exactly, yes. I let them wash over me. I document them. I pay attention to them. I, I There's a fellow, he's a great researcher, amazing guy, super great guy named Alan Green. And he wrote a book or edited a series of three books on synchronicity. And he says synchronicity is like a compass on the ocean compass on a cloudy day on the ocean he is using synchronicity and i feel like i'm doing it too like if you if you don't have a compass you can't find your way on the ocean so i'm using it as a as a as a way to proceed forward 
Okay. Well, going to your statement about reality being a dream, when you were having, let's focus on that experience in the tent. You saw the light outside, the intense light outside the tent. You had that. It was sense. inside the tent. It was inside the tent. Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought it was like flooding from uh, outside. No, it, was a, it was a hovering mandala inside the tent. It was a circle uh, okay. about the size of a pizza pan. Okay. Somewhat gotcha. translucent. Okay. But but it was. It looked like, in all honesty, it looked like a floating hologram of a pizza pan-shaped acrylic piece of plastic and that had a single hole in the very center. Interesting. Okay. So so let's say we had planted a camera inside the tent with you at that moment. What do you think would show up on the footage? Is this something that would be visible? Is it, you know, is it photons that are being emitted from an object that anyone including a camera could see or is it something that was more uh, spiritually focused on you in your mind? This is an excellent question. That whole event took place with uh, Natasha and I waking up feeling unimaginably oppressive fear. Hmm. Both of us woke up screaming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, We both describe it the same way. Like off the charts, unimaginable, irrational fear. Lasted for about 10 minutes and then click, we both went to sleep. It doesn't make any sense. But, Until but, you look at the UFO literature and this is this is very common. I didn't know that at the time. I, I know it now. And then afterwards, this click, asleep. You know, I'm floating. I have the elevator up feeling. I look off to the side. I see the mandala shape. And then I pass through the ceiling of the tent. And I, I say to myself, I have to remember this. I have to remember this. I have to remember this. Hmm. And at some point, that mantra, that repeated thing turns into, am I on a table? Am I on a table? Am right. I on a table? I have no memory of being on a table. I'm simply repeating. I made very detailed notes right after the event. Mm -hmm. And I'm simply repeating and going. And what's interesting is I go back to those notes and those notes are oftentimes more dramatic. And I'm undertelling these stories mm -hmm. years later. So what, uh, what do you think the oh, camera Oh, so if there was seen. a camera in the room. Okay, so if there's a camera in the tent, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. Could the entire experience have been internal? Uh, you know, what it felt like. If it was an internal experience, mm -hmm. like if the camera says, there's nothing happened. You're sleeping soundly. Nothing mm -hmm. happened. You wake up, you're scared. Like, oh my gosh, I'm scared. You'll go back to sleep. Nothing to see on the camera. What could, it could have all taken place internally. I will say, if it took place internally, my sense, my feeling, which I can't prove, it's just a feeling. Mm -hmm. My feeling is that it would have somehow been projected in. Like there would have been a source, someone with a little knob and a special little like, you know, psychic disruptor mechanism was might have been monitoring. Mm. There's a potential that I could have been laying there totally sound asleep and having a dream experience. And that dream was somehow projected into my mind. Uh, right. right. Yeah. OK. OK. So and I, so I don't know. But I do, will say that I did wake up with a very unusual scratch. Yeah. Oh, right. I was going to ask about that. And what, what do you think that is? Do you think that maybe is a surgical scar from, uh, from... Well, it wasn't surgical. So the scratch itself, like it looked like a scratch, right? It looked like a single cat claw or a single rose thorn had just gone from my left shoulder down to about my belly button. And what do you think that signifies? What caused that? I have no idea. All I can say is that when you looked at it closely, it wasn't a scratch at all. It was tiny little raised blisters. Like it, like itty bitty red raised blisters. Mm -hmm. Now, Natasha is a UFO researcher. She was doing UFO research in Germany. I'm a UFO researcher. We had we were cameras with us. We we're on vacation. We're taking pictures of every cactus and every you know sunset. We were burning through thousands of pictures. Mm -hmm. And I get I a couple days later I take a shower and it just washes off. And both of us, after it's gone, go, <gasps> we should have taken a picture of it. So that psychological thing is 
interwoven into the UFO abduction okay. contact experience. But, but no pet theories about what it actually is. I have no idea what it might be. And honestly, the best answer I can give is it was put there as a sign to take this experience seriously. The same way that, you know, like a, like a clue for me to, so I would, would be more difficult for me to deny that experience. Hmm. Okay. All right. I mean, oh, that's my sense. I don't have any proof. You asked me. That's that's oh, my sure. gut answer. Yeah. Sure, sure. I just thought maybe you'd think when uh, aliens opened me up, this is where they performed their incision or something. It like wasn't that. an incision. It was a tiny right. raised blisters. It was. It looked like I don't know what it was. You know, yeah. It like bug bites. Yeah. Or no, a, it was too perfect. It was an too perfect. allergic reaction maybe to... Uh, it could have... But I would have... If I had been scratched by a cactus that I had mm-hmm. an allergy to, I would have known it. It was not like a little... It, was, it wasn't like a little thing that I could kind of... Huh, where did this come from? It was pretty It was pretty dramatic. It was okay. a pretty big scratch. But, I mean, I'd been wearing shirt out in the sun. I would have to have taken the shirt off to scratch myself like that. Mm-hmm. Is it more reasonable though to say an alien came and created bumps on your chest or you forgot that you bumped into a cactus. You know, I struggle with that. I totally struggle with that. All I can say is I have no memory of bumping into a cactus. Mm-hmm. And okay. I, th- I feel like I'm a pretty self-aware person about that thing. I know what it means to go, ouch, I sure. bumped into a cactus. I would remember I don't, that, yeah. I don't, yeah, so, I'm just so looking for the, the simplest explanation here. And I guess for me, if I saw that, I would run through a bunch of things in my mind. Oh, maybe bugs, but maybe had, I ran into had, something. Maybe what if I, you had? Hmm? What if you had the sensation of floating through the ceiling of the shelter? What if, what yeah. if you had the, all the associated uh, stuff with that? I'm I'm pretty sure I'd have the same reaction. Cause like I said, I've had that physiological feeling, hmm. and I feel like if I had worn, if I had woken up with something after that, I I still think I would have been like, gosh darn it, what I ran into. But that's me. Yeah, no, I mean, so yeah, so I'm I'm at a different point in my life where I've been hit so much with this stuff um, that I, you know, and I and I don't make any claims that I know. All I can tell mm-hmm. is the story. In my in in you asked me a question, I gave you my gut answer. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair enough. Well, do you think that this could, in a way, just be like a metaphor for searching for wonder? All these all these sightings of owls. I feel like there's a really beautiful way to conceptualize all this where it's like, oh, look at the human mind. We're all looking for these wonderful, meaningful moments. We all want to experience wonder and we find it. But isn't that a, a beautiful thing then? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. The Yes, absolutely it could be that. And this is the challenge, isn't it? You know, this mm-hmm. is the challenge. I'm, I'm struggling because I'm on the line. I'm on the line. I tip back and forth. You read the book. Mm-hmm. You you must be aware that I was very cautious on how I phrased things. Yeah, not to be dogmatic. The only thing I'm dogmatic about in that whole book is I say there is a connection between UFOs and owls. I say that straight up. I'm clear about that. Everything else is nuanced in the in the realm of of speculation. I use the term. It seems. It could could be. Perhaps I'm surprised those the keys are still on my keyboard. I type them <laughs> so many times. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got to stop for just a moment to remind our listeners. Yes. That there is a whole new world. A whole new world. Of podcasts. Yes. For, for you to enjoy. <laughs> there are so many new good Max Fun shows and a lot of classics. So when you finish listening to this episode and you're like, oh, it's going to be another week before I get to hear Ross and Gary again. Mm-hmm. Guess what? You could listen to this. Are you tired of trying to keep up with the news cycle? Is bad stuff happening too fast for you to process? Don't you wish there was an easy way to find out about only the most important info you need? Hi, we're Lisa. 
and Emily. <laughs> Why don't you try our podcast, Baby Geniuses? On each episode of our podcast, we discuss a weird Wikipedia page, such as flatulence humor, Clamato, Catalan witches, Slippy, the Microsoft Office helper, death during consensual sex, and the talking mongoose. We ask each other stupid questions. Uh, <laughs> if you <laughs> if you got a packet with like three hundred seeds in it, what kind of plant would you choose? the seeds to be (laughs) (laughs) that felt like you were assigned to ask me a question and there were certain words you weren't allowed to use we talk about martha stewart her pony and other celebrity horse news ben chunch every other week on maximum fun baby geniuses to invite some more speculation on that connection between the owls and the UFOs and aliens, I wanted to look particularly at the screen memories, the idea that oftentimes people are looking at an alien, but the memory that they're left with is of an owl, sometimes four feet tall, you've mentioned. Yep. I guess my question is, why can't the aliens do a better job of disguising the memory maybe they could look like a normal sized owl because you mentioned they also sometimes appear as jesus or a clown or certain other animals sure uh, squirrels and and and, and, and oh, deer yeah right but they're not like four foot jesus or anything like that so why are these screen memories the wrong size is it because they want to are they leaving a little wink and a nudge in your memory like ah this isn't quite right the owls are not what they seem. Or or are they just not that great at uh, fully disguising our memories? That is a great question. And I've, I've pondered that myself and I, I don't have an answer. So if these aliens are all magnificent, I'd be left with a, with a scar. Why would I have felt fear? Why right. didn't they just knock me out and have, I have no memory at all. And why but boots? I have the, why would the owl wear boots? <laughs> why would the owl wear boots? Yeah. So when, when, when there's very, it's interesting because there's very few reports of, of boots that I remember. Oftentimes these uniforms that the aliens are wearing are more like um, old Dr. Denton pajamas, which are all just one piece <laughs> uniforms. So I, this is, so the, you asked a great question. Could it be there as some sort of trigger so that the observer is struck by something that they have to decipher. But my the premise of the book and the premise of the talk is that I was confronted with things in the and if people want to hear about this, well no, we don't have enough time to talk about all this stuff. But my my confirmation experience was a set of events that I feel like offered me clues and I was the only one who would have had the experience and had the been able to decipher these clues. Where it was dealing with maps, which I make maps. I had a psychic vision of a map. I'm being mm-hmm. very, very cut and dry here. I mean, mm-hmm. to tell these stories correctly, I, you know, I, I have to say like, oh my God, I had a psychic vision of a map. It was weird. Right. But now it's just, I'm just blowing right through this. I had a psychic vision of a map. I had the to decipher that map. Three connected points to, map. The three dots on a, on a straight line going through Southern Utah. Yeah. And I'll, what's Ben Mesnick? What's, who's the fellow who wrote the big hot uh, UFO book about called the 37th parallel? Oh, I haven't read that one. Oh, no. Yeah, you know, that all took place, those three lines, you line them up, that's the 37th parallel. Mm-hmm. I didn't know about that until after the book came out. So uh, gotcha. um, that's kind of a little afterthought. And that's where you know. those three points intersect? Is that the idea? Well, the three points make a, it's an east-west line, it's, so that's a parallel on the on the globe, yeah. It's right. roughly the, the latitude. Uh, the 37th. Oh, got it. Yeah, the oh, latitude. Course, yeah, right. Okay. The parallel, yeah. The other ones aren't parallel because they cross at the top of gotcha. the North and South Pole. So so that was a, sort of an aside. I feel like I'm trying to, I'm trying to, like, I feel like a... Uh, <laughs> 
or defense attorney, like That's you know, okay, Aww. no need yeah, to see so, a defense attorney. in the courtroom with the prosecuting attorney. <laughs> like kind of, oh yeah. So I yes, you made an excellent point. Very much, these events, these four foot tall owls could be put there specifically so people say, I saw an owl, but it was a four foot tall owl. That that quandary, that Zen Cohen. The person, the observer, is confronted with something that's irrational, the same way as Zen Cohen is. They have to mull that over. They have to wrestle with that ambiguity, which I think is an important human experience. Hmm. So is it kind of like when a parent still does the Santa Claus charade, but maybe they make it very obvious that Santa's handwriting is a lot like theirs, just to see if the kid figures it out? Perhaps. Perhaps. The kid's going to figure it out. Right. Kid's going to figure out there's going to be a day when he graduates from being, and that's kind of my, I often think about that as far as in the UFO lore, you know, like people say, oh, the aliens are from the Pleiades, you know, like, well, Santa Claus is from the North Pole, right? You know? <laughs> so that's, and I can prove that, right? Because I can go to books. I can say Santa Claus lives in the North Pole. Yeah. They might be from the kids section, right? You can send a letter and address it to Santa Claus North Pole. Mm-hmm. It doesn't get returned. What, what do you think of other theories about aliens? Because uh, you've talked mostly about the gray aliens. You just spoke with Whitley earlier today. He has a belief in a very specific race of blue aliens. And uh, we've heard of many other different races and kind of an intergalactic consortium of alien species. How do you feel about all of that? This is, you go to the time machine and go back to ancient Greece and and there's these learned scholars and they have these scrolls and they talk all about the pantheon of the gods and they talk about these gods and this gods and the meaning of this god and where this god comes from and the, the this god came from the mediterranean this god comes from the sky this god comes from the story the forest this god mm-hmm. comes from mount olympus you go to the top of mount olympus there's going to be nothing there i have a feeling if we looked through a telescope at the pleiades a really good telescope and we could zoom right in onto the planet we wouldn't be seeing tall angelic beings. I'm saying, this is this is now my my interpretation okay. of swimming in these waters. We are being confronted with a mythic set of archetypes: uh-huh. lizards, okay. angels, and leprechauns. So, but, uh, They're showing up. So these don't necessarily correspond to real flesh and blood creatures that we could touch or grab or chase or put under a microscope they are thoughts and ideas and patterns and dreams this is where it gets murky right because there's i mean people have i know someone who has a blood stain in the shape of a giant reptile hand Mm. on their that they woke up on their bed that was on their bed sheet you know so there's i know people who have put out tinfoil around their bed they were scared Uh uh-huh and in that tinfoil, they had giant reptile feet. I know someone who saw, woke up, saw a gray alien in the middle of the night. He walked out of the room and he touched the wall. This guy took a sawzall, cut out the drywall, carried it into a laboratory, and examined that drywall under a black light and found this four-fingered handprint. I'm okay. yes. Yeah, so these I mean, things, I could these make things a are manifesting. Yes, yeah, so I'm. I can't. I can't speak to the validity of what truly happened. I can only share the stories. Mm-hmm. There's an old time nuts and bolts researcher, and he documented these landings. Someone would say, "Oh, this UFO landed in my yard, and it had four little landing pods. It landed on four little struts." And he would go out and measure them, 
and they would be all the same size. They would be the same distance apart. They would be the same size. A physical piece of evidence, a little indentation in the yard, something heavy landed there, pushed the ground down. There's a way to test the weight of this thing. I'm, I'm out of my ken here as far as knowing exactly mm-hmm. the details of this, but they were remarkable. Someone in Ohio, someone in New Jersey, someone in Texas, they're all getting the same markings in their lawn. Something can appear physically. There's mm-hmm. a physical aspect to this as well as a mythological aspect to it. So we're confronted with a genuine mystery. Uh, it, they very well may be aliens flying on a flying saucer from the Pleiades, landing in people's yards, and then interacting with them in some foggy, nebulous way. That may be exactly what is happening. That is an assumption. I can't say that's truly. We don't know that for certain. Certainly, that's what they say. People mm-hmm. say to the aliens, "Where are you from?" And they say, "We're from the Pleiades." Uh, you go to the you go to the shopping mall. You walk up to Santa mm-hmm. Claus. Santa Claus, where are you from? It's like, "Oh, I'm from the North Pole." Mm-hmm. That doesn't make it true. Uh, what about, uh, for example, we encountered Stephen Greer. He speaks at a lot of these conferences, and <laughs> he'll say <laughs> that got a reaction. He'll say, you know, like all of these sightings and the imprints and stuff. That's all the government, and they have this technology, and they're using it to kind of mess with us and implant these ideas. Yep, he sure does say that. You know, so <laughs> that's a busy government. Let me tell you, that is a one busy government because I made a little joke in the talk. I said, you want proof of this? You want proof this is real? Look at my email inbox, you know? So mm-hmm. the government, they got to be some busy little bees to be out there and filling my email inbox as well as every other UFO researcher's email inbox. There's too much going on, in my opinion, for mm-hmm. the government to be doing so all that's, this So that's a theory that's a little too out there for you. Well, I certainly think there's government influence. My sense is that there's... For instance, in the book, I wrote an essay about drones. This woman had powerful seeing drones. It's a very complex story. Um, it's hard to tell. It's actually very hard to write. So there's like technology that's right there. You can like look it up in, in the, li- the available literature and like what's going on in uh, conferences and what do you call it? The trade shows, military trade shows. There's companies building drones. There's the government buying drones, and mm-hmm. they look pretty weird. They do not look like a helicopter. They do not look like an airplane. They're flying around. The $39 ones you get at Toys R Us look weird. They fly around like a little, you know, they hover it with an eerie smoothness. People are reporting. I suspect that a vast number of the present day, you go back 100 years, it doesn't count, right, because there's no drones. Present day UFO reports are a mess because there are so many man-made objects that can mimic what we once would have called UFOs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That puts the U right in UFO. All it has to be is unidentified, right? Yeah, exactly. So yes, it's a UFO. In fact, it's unidentified, though Though the source might not be Zeta Reticuli. The source may be, right. a, mm-hmm. you know... A, Toys R Us. A, a Toys R Us. Or, or, you know, if you want to get more elaborate, you know, the I mean, there are military applications for these, and I understand that. Mm-hmm. I understand why they'd want to keep it secret. So yes, so I think that there's the military aspect of the UFO issue is a is its own mess and i'm certain that there's it's muddled and mixed up mm-hmm. well I, are there any theories that are too far out there for you in the ufo community i have a real hard time with uh david wilcock and, and what's mm-hmm. his buddy's name on on gaia tv uh, we're we definitely with, know of david we know david yeah i'm not sure who the other guy oh is. do you know him personally no no, 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 no but, but we've, we've, seen, okay. we've seen him, seen him yeah, so. we've seen him at a conference in california okay we reported on him too. Yeah, I'm very, I'm very dubious of some of his claims. You know, he's a great presenter. He's a skilled orator. He's a dynamic presence, mm-hmm. charismatic presence. But that doesn't make it true. Yeah, we're right there with you. Yeah. So, yeah. but what about that strikes you? What gets your skeptical haunches up there? You know, honestly, he's just because he's just got too much of it. 
You know, like how does, how do you, you know, like he's saying too much. It's one, two, three, four. We've just done it's 12, one, oh, excuse me. It's 1234. So one hour, 12 minutes and 34 seconds. Just past my time clock there on the phone. Oh. So I was watching it. I was kind of. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I mean, I just, I think it's, he's just, it's too tidy. It's like, it's too wonderful, his presentations. That's hmm. my that's my concern. Tidy oh. is not what I would have called David Wilcock. <laughs> it's it's a mess when you try to you know when you try to make sense of it you know mm-hmm. but but his you know he's capable of he's a good pitchman mm-hmm. for yeah. something Kinston that I'm not going to buy. But you know, listening to him back to back with someone like Stephen Greer, only one of them can be right. They can't both be right. They can both be wrong though. Yes, that's right. That's true. <laughs> so that's so, yeah. So uh, here's my Stephen Greer story. I was I was I was at a conference and I was talking with a UFO researcher or cropsicle researcher, Colin Andrews. Colin was close friends with Stephen Greer. I don't think I'm saying anything out of sorts here. I've talked to many old time researchers and I brought up Stephen Greer and they all say, you know, he was a real dynamic character back in the day and he was really fighting the good fight and. And they all imply like something happened, whether he went off the deep end or he just got too involved in his own ego or something. I'm not saying anything that isn't like openly talked about in right. UFO circles. So. Mm-hmm. And Colin Andrews is an old friend of of Stephen Greer's. And he mm-hmm. they had a UFO conference. I'm talking with Colin Andrews. Colin looks over my shoulder. Just before he looks over my shoulder, I go, I, I like we're outside in a little, I get a little uh, tickle in the back of my throat and I watch this little bug and he like looks at me and Colin's kind of laughs he said I just watched a mosquito it's English mosquito go into your throat there so I hear him look over my shoulder he says Stephen and he looks and Stephen Greer walks up and he introduces me and I can't speak I'm totally mute oh I'm absolutely 100% mute what Stephen Greer is standing there we talks the most banal kind of like well my flight was a little late I got to check into the hotel I'm going to walk up to my room we should get together yeah let's you know so he's talking to I'm completely excluded from the conversation I can't talk and then he walks away and I go (coughs) and I watch a little teeny dot of a mosquito shoot out of my cough and I have my voice back oh Uh so what do you think was going on uh that one I'm that's uh, there's it felt so funny. I like I was not going to like tell Stephen Greer to his face like he's a big fat, you know, show off or something like that. I wouldn't have said that. That wasn't Stephen Greer exercising power over you through this mosquito. This was something, no, I don't think so. I something don't think else stopping you from through. speaking to him. Yes, there was a little mosquito that stopped me. It could have been nothing other than a coincidence. So but, were you opening your mouth and trying to speak? Yeah, it was and like a were little, they was reacting like a, to that? I feel like if I saw no, someone... I was polite enough to realize like, uh oh, I would have, you know, I would have, I wasn't choking, so I didn't have to, uh-huh. like, you know, I was breathing fine. Uh huh. So that has never happened to me ever, hmm. and it before happened, or since it lasted all of three minutes, maybe, and then it interesting was in Stephen Greer's presence. I don't know what to make of it. Hmm. Wow, it's a funny story. That's what I can make. Of okay, it. I have a funny story. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, one other question, just by way of follow up from things I think you'd mentioned in in your presentation and in the book, you talked about I think a couple people who had had downloads where they felt like they had received really important deep information before or after near an owl sighting, uh, yep. but and they said they would find out at a later date kind of yep. what that meant. Have you ever heard back on any of those accounts what those downloads were? Well, Andrea were? is right downstairs and she doesn't know. She's she's right here. She had that you're talking about Andrea's experience yeah. with a woman named Jessica. I haven't followed up with Jessica, but I will tell you that this is straight out of the UFO literature that people will be in the presence of an alien and they'll be like, oh, 
I just got to download. And then they'll say what it was. And they'll say, I don't know. They'll have the sense of profundity, but... They'll have the sense of... But without the the content of that profundity. Absolutely. That is consistent. And this is also something consistent where the sense of mission, it's right. You go to a UFO questionnaire, you can look these up online. There's dozens of them. I went through a kind of a crazy obsessive phase where I downloaded all these. I wanted to put them on a spreadsheet and it was too mammoth of a project. In compare and contrast, all every UFO researcher, here, take my little questionnaire. So you got dozens of UFO researchers researching abduction in particular. And here's my questionnaire. Just fill this out. It's usually about 20 questions. Some of them are hundreds of questions. One of the questions shows up on all of them. Do you have a sense of mission? Hmm. And this is this. You talk to people who've had the UFO contact experience. You ask them this. This mm-hmm. is, I'm serious. You ask them like, hey, just out of one scale of one to 10, what's your sense of mission? The question, the answer I get most often, they'll kind of like squint there or kind of scrunch up their face and go, uh, um, uh, can I say 11? <laughs> and then I said, what's your mission supposed to be? And like, I don't know. So there's this crazy urgency that comes, and maybe there's crazy urgency that comes with schizophrenia or other types of mental illness. So, so I'm open and aware to that of that. But all I can say is that within the UFO sort of circus of people who had these experiences, there's a sense of urgency. There's a sense of mission mm-hmm. that feels strong, and they don't know the source. Have you compared that to people outside the UFO community? What's your sense of mission? A scale of one to ten, what's your sense of mission? Oh, you know, as soon as you said that, I thought like, well, I would give that a really high rating. I'll like say a, nine. Yeah, ten, eleven. Ooh. I mean, yeah. Oh, right on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, don't you think that like most people probably feel like they're here for a reason? I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. I'm I'm in my own little bubble. I'm like, I'm as, you're like, don't listen to me in the sense of like, you know, whether this is true or not. You know, all I'm saying is that this is. I'm looking for the patterns. I'm stuck in my own little bubble, right? You know, so yes, you mm-hmm. can you could dismiss my Clellan easy just because I'm so quirky and obsessive about my own research. Well, I'm not asking it to dismiss you. I'm asking it to understand where you're coming Perhaps, from. Perhaps, yeah. yeah. I've never done it. So the question was, have I ever done an outside thing, like a control group? And I haven't. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. And well, some researchers have, though. I will say some researchers have, and I would that would be an interesting one to talk about. Yeah, totally. And I, well, I don't have the answer right off the bat. But fair enough. We appreciate you coming on our show and being a, a good a really interlocutor. Good sport. Yeah, yeah, and a good sport, and uh, and being generous with your time. We also wanted to tell our listeners that uh, we've agreed with Mike. He's going to send us. 20 copies of his book signed that we're going to we're going to buy from him and we want to give them to you the listeners uh, and I'm going to ask one thing just that that you enter this contest if you do really want to read the book yeah that'd be my one proviso and what we're going to do is we're going to have anybody submit say uh, a poem <laughs> How about a piece of art? A piece of art. And that could be a poem or a piece of art showing your passion for owls or maybe something related to this conversation. Yeah. and uh, Could be a haiku. Could be a painting. Could be a short story. Whatever. And uh, so what we'll do is after this interview comes out, we'll put up a thread on Facebook. Send us your artwork and... Uh, we'll we'll take our time, so you don't need to do it right away. But uh, we'll announce the deadline, and we'll look through those and kind of, in our own subjective way, uh, choose the winners. We'll send out twenty copies. And if you don't have Facebook, you can send them to info at onopodcast.com. Warning: I may borrow one of those copies first to read it. <laughs> hey, so I could send you. We'll talk about this afterwards, but I could send you a mix of the first book, which came out a couple of years ago, which you have, the big blue book. Yeah. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, and then and then the new book, which is green okay yeah so do you feel like people need to have read the first one to appreciate the second one no no you can read them in either order 
Okay. And uh, but they do companion. Yes, they're mm-hmm. nice companions. Yeah, they complement <laughs> each other. Fit next to each other on the shelf. In any order. Okay. Yeah. You know. Send hey, us- here's now what I'm going to ask you. This is mm-hmm. now I'm going to be. This is I'm going to hold you to the fire. Here okay. Good. Do it. What'd you think of the book? Well, Ross read the whole thing. I've read probably a hundred pages. Okay. I appreciated the unpacking of the ideas, and I think I came away. I came away feeling, as we've discussed in our conversation, that you have a different threshold of significance that you'll apply to certain inputs. And yeah, I I thought it was entertaining and interesting. I, I would say my only critiques were just that certain inputs were allowed into the narrative that I would have been dismissive of uh, more or more dismissive of, say, like you know, the person who did the audio masking, back masking. Oh, oh, that guy's great, though. That, I like that guy. OK, I mean, I'm, this guy is a wonderful guy and he takes it very seriously. So, you know, what I would say is go do a session with with Wayne Nicholson. Oh, gladly. Where's yeah, he? Do lo- it. Where's he located? In upstate New York. Yeah. OK. So all actually right. fairly close by to me. Yes. I find all your oh, work. Keep, I, I'll, I'll remain silent. But yes, Wayne Nicholson is a marvelous, marvelous fellow. And he is way out there on the edge. And at the same time, he is so grounded in the way he approaches it. So, and that's my, that's my opinion. But sure, you should have him on the show. Do a session with him. Oh, we'd gladly do a session with him. I don't think I so know. So what you would have to do is then do a reverse speech analysis. So what, so what he'll do is he'll have a conversation with you and he'll ask you specific He'll just say, questions. talk, go ahead, talk, keep talking. What do you think about this? And he's a, he's, a, he's, he's partially a therapist. You can hear that in his voice. And then he analyzes those recordings and he'll play sections of audio backwards uh, and find uh, hidden messages in what you've said. Oh, like you Paul said, is dead kind of situation. Right, you said forward. Exactly. I agree. I, I find myself in the woods often. And then when you play that backwards, he'll say, ah, you were saying the owls are listening. Ah, uh, okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Was that in there? I don't think that was in there. That is me making up an example. Yeah, of that's close. The sort though. of thing. That's close, though. Yeah. Um, yeah, I find all your work really charming, Mike. Uh, I guess the sense I keep getting is that in a sense, you want to have it both ways a little bit. Like, here are all these theories. But if you nail me down on the theories, I didn't really mean them. So that would be my one critique. But it's so I mean, it's so charming. And like, Like I said, I see it as this just sort of human search for wonder. And Mm -hmm. when I see people looking for wonder and finding it, to me, that's a really heartening, lovely thing. So that's that's the lens through which I see all your work. And we'd both heartily agree that you're an earnest guy. You're telling the truth. You're not out to deceive or pull the wool over anybody. You're just seeing the world the way you do. Or the feathers. I, I might come up with different explanations for the things you encounter, uh, but it's fascinating to hear your explanations. Fair enough. I, as I said before, the only thing I said with absolute concrete declaration in the book is that there is some connection between UFOs and owls. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, it is all a form of speculation. Right. Yeah. Fair enough. Even that's a big claim, though. I feel it in my bones, having <laughs> been immersed in it this much. So okay. I feel strongly. I got no problem making that claim. <laughs> okay, good. Well, that's it for our show. Our thanks to Mike Clellan for joining us. Yes, thank you so much. Our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton. Our administrative manager is Ian Kramer. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash ONRAC, O-N-R-A-C. And that's also where you can submit for our book giveaway. Yeah. You can also follow us on Twitter if you like birds. (laughs) And uh, we are Oh No Podcast there. Yeah. And remember. So after all my time doing this, I have been obsessively focused on things at the outer edge. What I have found is that... It's good energy spent stepping off the main path. It's 
it's a powerful experience to step off the path and into the darkest part of the forest where there is no trail. For me, that has been enormously, enormously rewarding. And my life is different now. Uh, I, when I started this stuff, I, I didn't, I was kind of in a panic about it. I, I, I wrote in one essay somewhere along the lines, I said, the owls pushed me off a cliff. And someone kind of like was helping with text and stuff. And she kind of said, um, isn't that a little heavy handed? Like, do you really want to say that? I'm like, yes, I really want to say that. So the owls pushed me off a cliff. My direct owl experiences left me adrift. The normal stuff that was all my world. I had to, I had to, I had to swim beyond that into the deeper waters. And it has been challenging, but also in a wonderful way, it has been extremely rewarding. Hey, Helen Hong. Yes, J. Keith Van Stratton? What's the difference between a layover and a stopover? I have no idea. What's the difference between optimal and optimum? I have no idea. Well, what's the difference between an actual conversation and a promo for our new show on Maximum Fun, Go Fact Yourself? Nobody has any idea. Go Fact Yourself, the game show with celebrity contestants, super smart experts, and answers to questions you've never even asked. Listen twice a month on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And be in the audience for our tapings of Go Fact Yourself in downtown L.A. It's free. Go to GoFactYourPod.com for more info. We're having a very realistic conversation. Yes, we are. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.